Okay. Um, <laughs> Sandy and I, Sandy and I have been practicing our smiles because <laughs> I've learned that like it's important on the YouTube video <laughs> to um, get a thumbnail, you know, of the episode. So <laughs> I thought like I could do like the screaming emoji, and Sandy would do do the hair. Hair raising. Hair raising. <laughs> That's um, a really compelling thumbnail. So if yeah, you happen exactly. to see that one. We're mature. We're yeah. mature. Yeah. yeah. Um, like. <laughs> um, hello and welcome to uh, the Pen Podcast, Psychic Eye Mystery Podcast, episode number 11. Um, we are cruising. Um, I'm your host, Victoria Loy, with my fabulous sister, uh, Sandy. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Um, or pre-Valentine's Day, I should say. Did you get my package? I didn't. I did. I looked. I, I'm sure it's coming. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm not worried. I mean, I'm sending out my... Phone. I know you're not worried. <laughs> I'm tracking it. And it every says single it's year, delivered. every single year, my <laughs> wonderfully thoughtful sister sends me a Valentine's gift. And every single year I get it and I feel super guilty because I don't even send her a fucking card. And uh, you would think that after like 11 years of this, that I would, yeah, no, I, I suck in the sister department. Sandy Not necessarily. Like, you are, you are awesome and thoughtful and I so appreciate it. And I know well, I'm going to love it because it's always something that's like comforting, you know, like you should see the robe she got me for Christmas. I live in that thing. I live in it. It's right, like so the most this comfortable year's, like hug thing. This, this Valentine's day gift is something that you can share with smelly man. <laughs> He's not. Come on. <laughs> what? Great smelling man, not smelly man. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize he was great smelling man. I thought he was smelly man. Oh my god, I can't show him this episode. Now. Like smelly cat. I'll be like, we did episode cat. ten and then twelve. I don't know what happened to eleven. Just don't listen to it. Smelly man. Oh, smelly, smelly man. man. <laughs> no, he is. He's so god. He smells so good. All right. So, so not cute. to take us off track, but that was the the rationale behind him up. You brought him up. Okay, I can share it with him. Oh, that'll be nice. That'll be nice with a, with a bottle of wine. Cause that's our usual. No. Okay. No, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Not wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it bubble bath? <laughs> God, God, no. <laughs> he already smells. There's no reason to do a bubble bath. Oh yeah. No, event. we don't want to wash that off. We don't no. want to wash the, the All right. geo So off. next week you can share with the audience what it is that you have received. Yes, I will. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. remind me because you know me. I'll be like, blah, blah, blah. And you'll be like, hello, did you get your gift? And I'll be like, yes, my wonderfully thoughtful sister, again, thought of me so sweetly. Happy Valentine's Day. For this week's theme of Valentine's Day. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So before we jump into Valentine's Day uh, thematics and fun, do you want to do a quick revisit of the last week's uh, yeah. podcast about yeah. the Brooke family. Yeah. Because uh, we had a great follow-up conversation and I was, I like realized something I had like a yes. little epiphany. So, so what was your epiphany? <laughs> <laughs> you were going to, okay. So just as, just to revisit the case, um, the Bricka family was murdered in 1961, right? 61. I'm pretty sure it was like or, 65, 65. Okay. Yes. Right. Because, um, Debbie was five, right? Four. Four. Math. <laughs> yet another strong skill. Math. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. So she was, they were, the whole family was murdered in 1965. 
And um, so uh, it, it's a fascinating case. And if you um, want my impressions, I had a very, very strong feeling about what happened and what took place. And what was most interesting was I really felt that I was looking at the scene of the murderer um, as he entered the house through Jerry's eyes. Jerry was the father. <clears throat> so it was my theory. If you haven't listened to it yet, um, skip this part, skip ahead. <laughs> hit, hit mute. <laughs> mute. <laughs> That'll just mute you. So forward. <laughs> anyway, um, so the murderer I felt was someone that he worked with and um, Jerry had discovered something um, about him that um, uh, would have cost him his job. So this gentleman followed Jerry home, showed up at the back door, and I had a very clear image of the man behind the screen door, um, standing behind the screen door. And what I didn't realize at the time in looking at who was standing at the screen door was, um, like there was a, a, can we talk about this? Can I come in? And Jerry was saying yes. And the man raised his hand with a gun. And what I didn't realize at the time was that when I was looking at him, he raised his left hand um, and not his right hand. And um, I realized that uh, one of the details of the story was that they suspected the, the guy was left-handed. Yes. Um, and that hadn't been something that I had picked up uh, when I was reading the synopsis. So when I was recalling that image, it just struck me as like, that isn't something that my mind would have gone, my mind would have gone right hand. Um, so that when I really felt I was looking through Jerry's eyes and, and the left hand came up with the gun, I was like, oh, okay, all right. I think I really was looking through his eyes at, at what went on. So um, yeah, so that was, that was really interesting. Yes, an interesting confirmation for sure. Right, Yeah. in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're both dressed in pink, pretty in pink for Valentine's Day. Yes, ma'am. Uh, and pearls. And so, right. Mm -hmm. yes, yes, our our listening audience is like, we don't care. Get I know. On with get on. I'm trying, people. I'm trying. <laughs> so the book this week that we that you wanted to feature is from your uh, Coach to Death series. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Life Coach Life Coach Mysteries, which is um, my newest mysteries, basically. Um, so this stars Cat uh, and Gilly. Cat being of the Psychic Eye Mystery series, and Gilly being of the <laughs> Sandy shaking her head because Cat is based very loosely on her. Inspired, I should say, inspired. Um, and then Gilly Gillespie, who comes from the MJ Holiday series, the Ghost Hunter Mystery series. <clears throat> so these two really are almost like the keystone cops of um, mystery solving. Um, they end up solving stuff like by total accident, always headed in the wrong direction. And like me book, and you, you know? <laughs> seriously, right? Um, <laughs> so we decided, <laughs> we decided to do this book because like I've only done one other book with like a Valentine's Day scene. It was really a, kind of a bummer. Um, and we've already featured the book anyway, that was Better Red Than Dead, the second book in the Epicurus Psychic Eye series. So because this book is all about the love scenes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so first of all, okay, first of all, I really wanted Kat, who is a 40 plus year old woman, um, divorced, um, you know, free to date who she wanted, who she wants to, you know, if she wanted to get busy with two gentlemen, she could. 
and the amount of like hate mail. (laughs) Let me just add to this, that when you loosely base the freaking character on me, and then you have love scenes about the character you've not about you. Let me- there was no first of all i'm not writing love scenes i'm doing the lead up to and the the after of the love okay. scenes whatever i'm highly not picturing anything like highly what? disturbing what? let me just say highly disturbing <laughs> yeah. yeah well just skip over those parts just, i do you know, i turn forward. pages really fast when you're talking mm. about such things but it's funny I don't want the lead know. up is funny the lead up to the well actually the day after the lead up to, yeah the day after is funny you have to admit when gilly comes yeah there's a scene that's really funny anyway um, so cat cat gets her gets her groove on and then there is a there's a really sweet scene between Gilly and his um uh his new love interest uh, an alpaca yeah um <laughs> that is a hilarious scene yeah or rather I should say the alpaca and his new love interest Gilly that um, would be a more appropriate way to describe yeah, that entire yeah. hilarious right? scenario. Yes. <laughs> the rabbit hole I went down researching alpacas. So like Sandy knows I'm writing this book and I'm like, you know, I don't really know anything about alpacas, but I really had this scene in mind. And um, so I started researching it and like eight hours later we're talking and I'm like, we have to own an alpaca farm. Like that just has to happen. And then like, we're making plans to like have something in, in Vermont where we're going to have alpacas okay i want chickens there you go. <laughs> he wants a whole herd of alpacas, heard of alpacas. Which, yeah alpacas are just they're so sweet they're such cool they're really really cool really you can go down a, a, a busy rabbit hole um with alpacas they're they're kind of awesome so anyway to coach a killer on shelves wherever books are sold um it's um this is definitely my favorite in the calculi um series so far However, um, Jim has given me just, I, my agent Jim has given me an absolutely brilliant idea for <clears throat> what will, and that, and you're hearing it here first, what will end up being the last in the Kekuli series, um, at least under this publisher. Um, if I continue with it, it'd have to be like probably my own. But um, yeah, he's given me um, a, a, just a spectacular um, idea for what will likely to be the last in the series. Don't worry. I'm going to tie up all loose ends. It's going to be okay. Cat is not gone. Gilly's not gone. They'll make appearances. I promise. So yeah. Anyway. Okay. All right. Anecdotes, right? We're on anecdotes. Okay. So I, I was in a panic um, yesterday afternoon um, because I was talking to Sandy and I'm like, I, I don't have any like really good sort of Valentine's day sort of anecdotes. I don't know what I've what I'm going to bring up. And so we had kind of a whole other direction that we were going to do. Um, and, um, uh, you know, the, the power of the other side, you know, can see that I'm in a panic, like I don't have anything good and juicy to tell um, the fans tomorrow on the podcast. And they provided two clients who gave me just such sweet, wonderful, lovely anecdotes. So the first is, <clears throat> um, I was reading for a woman and her father, um, when they get excited, it's so cool because like, they really do hit me like a free, a free turn, right? It's like uh, right in the face. Um, and it's, I, I have such a hard time even um, trying to direct my thought in a different direction other than to acknowledge them. Like, it's like, I can't, it's like someone coming up and stepping in front of you and you're still trying to have a conversation with someone um, around them, right? <clears throat> so anyway, so he can, running in and um, he was super, super devoted to his wife and he knew his wife was still here. And um, he kept saying, um, as proof of who he was, he kept saying, 
talk about the birthday, talk about the anniversary, talk about the birthday, talk about the anniversary, talk about the birthday, talk about the anniversary. So I'm like, was there like a birthday and an anniversary, like back to back? Well, it turns out his wife's birthday was the day before and their anniversary is um, this week. So then, um, then he shows me, like he's such a um, kind of vibrant character. So then he shows me he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and a lei and sunglasses. And um, I said, you know, we were talking about traveling and I said, are you by any chance headed to Hawaii? And she smiles and she said, yeah, next week, uh, we're taking mom, um, his wife to Hawaii. And um, <clears throat> that's for their, what would have been their anniversary. And, uh, you know, he's like, he's telling me I'm tagging along, I'm going. Um, and uh, she's like, that would have been their, their anniversary and also where they honeymooned. So Hawaii had this like really special importance. And I thought that was just like so sweet. So, um, and yes, they do tag along. When you go to like really cool places, the dead, the dead tag along, like they're there. Um, so if, if ever... you feel a cold chill, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably, you know, if you feel a cold chill in the hotel, that's probably the hotel, get out. But if you feel warm and fuzzy and you think of like dad or mom or whomever, they have hitched a ride. Oh, and you know how he told me that he was going? He, uh, so he's wearing this Hawaiian shirt, sunglasses and a lei, and he, he holds up his thumb like hitchhiking. That's mm, how he told cute. me that he was going. Yeah, cute. I think that was so sweet. And then, um, uh, oh, and then this one was really good too. So <clears throat> like the, not the next client after her, but the one after that, um, her, mom, her mom came forward and um, uh, such a sweet lady, identified herself really well. And um, she kept saying, you know, she was so happy to re be reunited with her husband. And I said, oh, your father's passed too. And she's like, no, he's still here. And like this, like really confused me because this woman was so overjoyed to be um, um, reunited with her husband. And <clears throat> the image of her husband, and I could see why, because the image of her husband was like James Garner, right? Really gorgeous man, black hair, you know, chiseled features. And so I said that, I said, gosh, he's like showing me this like James Garner kind of character and my client's jaw dropping. She goes, oh my God, my mom was briefly married um, before her first husband was killed in a car accident and he was tall and beautiful and looked like James Garner. So um, yeah, wow. Um, so wow. sorry, dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mom's off, I know, I know. Mom's off with her first husband. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Uh, uh, but dad is remarried. So that dad, dad's good. a placeholder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Don't get a complex kiddo, but you, you know, you're, you're a placeholder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my God. Um, yeah. So those are my two, like Valentine's day love continues, you know, um, even um, with placeholders, it's a good, even thing. with placeholders. Yes. Even with placeholders. Yeah. And th that's been one of the things that's really been kind of interesting is who reunites and who separates. Um, and they have, <clears throat> most of them have given me a lot of indication that they still keep up their social lives. Um, in fact, they're far more social than like we are because they don't <laughs> really have jobs, you know? Um, and, um, um, they, they get smitten, um, you know, being reunited with, um, their loved one. It's like, they kind of fall in love all over again and they pass that feeling on, you know, like, you're in high school and you've got a crush, oh. um, you know, like how I feel about Ray's Um, so <clears throat> kind of crush. Um, he's so cute. Guys. Someday I'll have him on someday. Um, <laughs> again, I'm Maybe a place. You're holder. fired. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sandy, we're going to experience some layoffs here. Yeah. <laughs> 
downsizing. <laughs> In favor of someone who smells really good. So anyway, okay. Um, we have, this is this case, I'm glad we're kind of um, doing a little bit of levity and we have a, a really great story to end with um, that is a personal story. It doesn't have anything to do with murder, mayhem or spirits on the other side. But Yet. It's, <laughs> but it's, yeah, but it's hilarious. Um, and it's uh, a family story. So um, uh, we kind of, we, we thought we'd end with that. Try to perk your mood up because uh, I want to brace you guys. This is a tough, tough, tough story. Um, this is the first case that I've actually um, cried my eyes out over. Um, so poor Sandy got that phone call. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we talked back and forth about whether or not we actually wanted to include it um, in an actual podcast. <clears throat> and I want to make it very, very clear that um, the parents are still holding out hope that their daughter will come back to them. And um, they believe very, very firmly that she is still alive. And I do not want to dispel that hope at all. So, um, you know, I don't have control over who sends anything to anybody, but like, just respect them, okay? I'm not trying to insert myself um, into their lives or dash their hopes or give them any moment, not even an iota of um, pause or pain. But I got very clear impressions. Um, so, and they were not fun. Um, and I'm not going to go into detail on it because I want to spare all of you, but this was a really, really tough case. So, um, Sandy, you did a great job writing this up too, again, as always. So, and you when you fire me, the have family. fun. Yeah. When you, when you fire me, you have a good time, right? Your own <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> I will be correcting, you know, yeah. if great smelling men takes, takes it up, bands feel takes it over. I will be correcting Y-O-U-R and Y-O-U apostrophe R-E constantly. So. What that sounds like with, fun what is it with men they just don't like it's always the guys right it's like your right like that's yours why are you are why are you apostrophe re you are like you fucking are <laughs> so anyway okay all right I digress yeah so take so, it away. um <clears throat> this case uh i came across as a result of a list that the fbi has published uh, of 43 unsolved cases of people under the age of 21 that the agency is looking for leads. And um, it turns out uh, our podcast number nine on Kyron Horman um, was on the list uh, as well. So um, not that I intend to devote all of our time to this particular list, but I, I, uh, that's just, this is how I came across this particular case. And the reason that we're featuring it for Valentine's Day is that because um, her name is Aisha Degree. She disappeared on Valentine's Day. Um, and this coming Monday's Valentine's Day marks the 22nd anniversary of her disappearance. And tragically, Valentine's Day is also the um, wedding anniversary of her parents, Icola and Harold. And this coming um, Monday's Valentine's Day will mark their 34th wedding anniversary. So um, here's the, the story. <clears throat> For unknown reasons, in the early morning hours of February 14th, 2000, nine-year-old Aisha Degree packed her book bag and left the comfort of her family home to walk in the pouring rain and heavy wind along north, nearby North Carolina Highway 18. Between 3.30 and 4.15 a.m., two separate passing motorists witnessed the four-foot-six, 60-pound fourth grader walking as she navigated the dark roadway. When one of the drivers who was concerned about the little girl turned around and began to approach her, Aisha inexplicably ran away from the roadside into a wooded area, and she has not been seen since. 
Aisha's parents, Harold and Icola Degree, married on Valentine's Day in 1988. Their first child, a son, O'Brien, was born in 1989, and Aisha was born 11 months later on August 5, 1990. The Degree's family home was located on Oakrest Drive in a residential subdivision in a rural area north of Shelby on the western edge of Charlotte. Harold and Icola both had full-time jobs nearby and felt secure that their children could get home from school safely to focus on homework until they could join their children at the end of the day. Life centered around church, school, and their extended family. Harold's mom lived across the street and Harold and, and Icola were cautious about negative outside influences. So at the time they did not have a computer or internet access in the house. As a shy, sensible, and cautious child who was wary of strangers and terrified of dogs, Aisha was content with her healthy home life routine and the limits that her parents had set for her. The second weekend in February 2000 was a long weekend with Cleveland County Schools closed on Friday, February 11th. While her parents were at work, Aisha and O'Brien spent most of the day at their aunt Keisha's house, located in the same neighborhood as their home, and later attended their youth basketball practices at nearby Falston Elementary School. The siblings were both excited about playing with their respective teams the next day at the Burns Middle School. On Saturday, February 12th, with her family cheering her on in the stands, Aisha took to the basketball court as a star point guard. And unfortunately, Aisha fouled out during the last three minutes of the game and the team suffered its first loss by one point to their opponents. This upset um, Aisha and her teammates all ended up in tears. Heartbroken at first because she felt she had let her team down by falling out, Aisha quickly bounced back and joined her family in the stands to cheer her brother on during the game. Later that evening, Aisha attended a sleepover that included several cousins, and there were no signs of lingering distress about the team's loss earlier that afternoon. If she had felt guilty over how the basketball game had turned out, it was not obvious to those that were close to her. On Sunday, February 13th, the Degrees attended church and then spent time visiting at a relative's house before returning home. Around 9 p.m. that night, the power went out in the neighborhood after a nearby car accident, so both Aisha and O'Brien went to bed in their room that they shared. Later that evening, Harold returned home from work, and then around 1130, in anticipation of his wedding anniversary, he headed back out to buy some candy for his wife. He was home again by midnight and was relieved when the power came back on around 1230 a.m., at which time Harold went and checked in on his children and saw both Aisha and O'Brien asleep in their beds. He, picked in, he peeked in on them once again shortly before he went to bed at 2.30 a.m., and everything, it seemed, was back to normal. Shortly thereafter, O'Brien, then aged 10, recalls hearing Aisha's bed squeak. Assuming that Aisha was shifting positions in her sleep or maybe got up to use the bathroom, O'Brien fell back to sleep. At 5.45 a.m. on the morning of her 12th wedding anniversary, Ecola got up, uh, Ecola got up a little earlier than normal. The power outage had precluded the kids from washing up, so Icola started to draw a bath and then opened the children's bedroom door to wake them up before their 6.30 a.m. alarm so they could bathe and get ready for school. As expected, O'Brien was asleep in his bed, but Aisha was not. Icola searched the house and the family cars, and when she couldn't find Aisha, she woke Harold up in a panic. He suggested that Aisha might have gone over to his mother's house across the street, and after making a call, Icola learned that her sister-in-law, from her sister-in-law, that Aisha was not there. Now frantic, Icola called her mother, who told her to call the police. By 6.40 a.m., officers from the Shelby Police Department had arrived on the scene and found no signs of forced entry. Icola went through the neighborhood calling Aisha's name, rousing her neighbors and friends about her missing daughter. By 7 a.m., friends, family, and neighbors canceled their plans for the day to assist police in their search, and the degrees pastor and other area clergymen came to their home for support. 
After doing a quick inventory of her clothing, Aisha was believed to have been wearing a white shirt or nightgown as a shirt, white jeans and white Nikes that she had, that she had left her that sorry, when she had left her house earlier that morning. Despite the cold, rainy weather, none of her coats or winter clothes were missing from her closet, but her black book bag and purse with the Tweety Bird design on it were gone from her room. Investigators quickly ruled out that Aisha had been kidnapped, but also did not classify her as a runaway due to her young age. Approximately 60 volunteers were searching for Aisha by the end of the day, and up to 100 volunteers had joined the search by the following day. In addition to these volunteers, helicopters circled the area searching for Aisha, and canine units were dispatched. While canine units could not pick up a single scent trail, likely due to the overnight storm, investigators received their first leads the afternoon of the 15th. Local news coverage prompted two different motorists traveling along North Carolina Highway 18 between 3.30 and 4.15 a.m. on Monday the 14th to report their early morning sightings of Asia. Jeff Rupi contacted the police at noon on the 15th to say that he saw Asia walking south along Highway 18, just north of the junction with Highway 180 at 3.30 a.m. on the 14th. According to Rupi, it was raining heavily at the time, and when he caught sight of Aisha, she appeared to have a book bag, was wearing a white dress and white sneakers, and had her hair in pigtails and was walking quickly and intently as if she had a definite destination in mind, not wandering aimlessly down the dark road. Thinking that it was strange for a young girl to be out by herself at that hour, in a raging storm no less, Rupi found a place to turn his truck around and then headed back to where he'd seen the young girl. When he drove up alongside Aisha and asked if she needed help, he stated that Aisha ran off into the nearby woods and vanished into the darkness. The second truck driver, Roy Blayton, a former Cleveland County Sheriff's deputy, contacted police around 5 p.m. on the 15th after learning about Aisha from his wife. Blanton reported seeing Aisha at 4.15 a.m. near the intersection of highways 18 and 180. Roy, who was trucking with his son, did not realize he had spotted a child and assumed it was a woman who was possibly running away from a domestic issue. Concerned about her being hit by a car by passing motorists, Roy issued a communication on his CB radio to warn other truckers in the area to be on the lookout. County Sheriff Dan Crawford said, we're pretty sure it was her because the descriptions they each gave are consistent with what we know she was wearing. He added that both witnesses also saw Asia at the same place heading in the same direction. According to Detective Tim Adams of the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, that was the last time anyone had a confirmed sighting of Asia. Based upon their two separate accounts, police determined that determined Asia was about 1.3 miles away from her home, and the route she was walking, while unsafe for pedestrians, was familiar because it was a route her school bus traveled to school. With two credible leads, police began checking a five-mile radius around the intersection of 18 and 180, a remote and densely wooded area. Checkpoints were set up with searchers, including an air support, canine units, and foot patrols combing the area, but nothing to re relating to Asia was found. Authorities also thoroughly searched Harold and Ecola's home and took an inventory of Aisha's things. Missing were her black overalls with a Tweety Bird design, a black and white striped long sleeve shirt, a white nylon shirt, a red vest with a black trim, and her favorite pair of jeans. Detective Tim Adams of the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office later reported during his 2015 reinvestigation of the case, apparently she packed her bag prior to leaving, but the contents from what we can tell looks something like a child would pack rather than her parents preparing her for an overnight stay. Asia's, Asia's parents were quickly cleared of any wrongdoing after submitting to police interviews and a polygraph test. Likewise, on February 15th, Jeff Rupi was questioned and polygraphed, and after being cleared, he took authorities to the area of Highway 18 where he had last spotted Asia. 
On February 17th, beginning at the point where Jeff Rupi had last seen Asia, volunteers fanned out and came across the property of Debbie and Raleigh Turner, which was 600 feet from where Asia was last seen and about a mile from the degrees home. At the back to the Turner's property was an old shed, which was part of the Turner's upholstery business. Inside the shed, police retrieved Asia's Mickey Mouse hair bow, a 1996 Olympics commemorative pencil, a green marker, and a few candy wrappers belonging to candy that had been given out on February 13th at the basketball game. Also found was a wallet-sized photo of a young African-American girl, but no one in Asia's family or community recognized the child in the photo. While investigators know that Asia packed her belongings in her book bag, they were unsure why only a hair bow and some school supplies were left behind. No other traces of Asia were found near the site, and despite an extensive ground search of the area, nothing else turned up. Adding to the mystery was the fact that the Turner shed was uphill from Highway 18 and would have been difficult for Asia to reach, as she would have had to have crossed a three-foot gully to get to the shelter. After 9,000 man-hours of searching the area where Asia had last been seen, on February 20th, police called off their search. Shortly thereafter, the FBI and the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation got involved in the case. A month after Asia's disappearance, the Degree family appeared on the Montel Williams show to call attention to the case, and America's Most Wanted and the Oprah Winfrey show also devoted segments to Asia's story. Then on August 3rd, 2001, a year and a half after her disappearance, Asia's book bags and other items were unearthed during a construction project off of Highway 18 near Morgantown, which was about 26 miles north of Shelby. Asia's bag was double wrapped in a black trash bag. And interestingly, the two truck drivers who reported seeing Asia on Route 18 said that she was walking south, not north towards Morgantown, raising suspicions of foul play. The Cleveland County Sheriff's Office confirmed that 99% of the contents belonged to Asia, but noted that the discovery of the backpack didn't produce any new leads. Asia's book bag was then sent to Quantico, Virginia, where the FBI conducted an in-depth analysis of all of the bag and its contents. Inexplicably, it wasn't until 2018 that the FBI confirmed that the bag included two items that did not belong to Asia a new kids on the block t-shirt and a copy of Dr. Seuss's Magellet's Pool, which oddly had been checked out of Asia's elementary school library, but there was no way to verify if she checked out the book herself. In 2015, the FBI joined state and county authorities to reopen the investigation, which resulted in a disclosure by the FBI in May of 2016 that they were looking for a 1970s dark green Lincoln Continental Mark IV or possibly a Ford Thunderbolt sorry, a Ford Thunderbird from the same era with rust around the wheel wells. Cleveland County Sheriff Alan Norman stated that the car would have had to have been occupied by two people. No further details were provided about the car or why authorities were looking for the vehicle. Some news articles have reported that Asia was witnessed getting into the car, but this fact hasn't been confirmed by authorities. To this day, the degrees continue to work at keeping Asia's memory and the case alive in the public eye. In 2008, they established a a scholarship in her name for a deserving local student and started an annual walk to raise awareness and money to fund the search for their daughter. A missing persons billboard for Asia stands along Highway 18 near where she was last seen. And the FBI is offering a $25,000 reward for information leading to Asia's whereabouts and the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office is offering another 20,000. For Asia's parents, the hope is that those responsible have, haven't done irreparable damage and have the courage to come forward. Aisha's disappearance has baffled police since she went missing on Valentine's Day 2000. And while investigators believe that Aisha had planned and prepared for her departure over several days prior to her disappearance, the motivation behind her departure remains unknown. Further, investigators suspect that along the way to her destination, Aisha either got off track or was abducted. 
And sadly, there are still no definitive answers about Aisha's fate. In 2020, around the anniversary of her daughter's disappearance during an interview, Icola said, after 20 years, I still believe my daughter is alive. I do not believe she is dead, and I know someone knows something. I'm not crazy enough to think that a nine-year-old can disappear into the thin air without somebody knowing something. Nicola told, also told North Carolina's WBTV, this, this is worse than death because at least with death, you have closure. You can go to a graveside or you can have an urn in the home, but for us, we can't mourn and we can't give up. The only thing we've got is hope. My sources for this story are Wikipedia, um, allthingsinteresting.com, The Disappearance of Asia Degree, How a Nine-Year-Old North Carolina Girl Vanished Forever by Marco Margadoroff, June 17, 2021, unspeakablecrimes.com, Everything We Know About the Mysterious Disappearance of Asia Degree by Patrick Thornton, updated on October 22, 2021, Carolina Crime Files podcast by Kelly Nady, Winston-Salem Journal, Marcus Mellon, oh, sorry, and then the Winston-Salem Journal, which we'll talk about in a second. I apologize. Yeah. So this was, what do you, this was, this was, this was the hardest case I've looked at. Um, like really, really tough. Um, so my bonus operandi now is to just um, dive into an automatic writing and see if anybody steps forward connected to um, Asia, you know, maybe herself or um, someone who on the other side connects to her, who might know what happened. And I immediately had um, the sense of like a grandmother figure um, stepping forward. Um, and she didn't necessarily show me, you know, um, the scene of what had happened, but it was sort of like, there's this like telepathic kind of impression that you have so that you get a clear understanding. And um, I had, um, I felt immediately that Aisha, um, uh, the reason that she was out in the cold and the rain and walking was that she was sleepwalking. Um, that actually, when you and I were talking, first talking about the case and you brought it up to me um, and you said, you know, she's out in the cold, this eight-year-old walking at 2.30 in the morning um, in the rain. And um, I had, I don't know if you remember this, Sands, but Sandy and I used to live in uh, uh, England. Um, and when we first went to England, we settled into London for a couple of months before our, um, our house was ready. So <clears throat> um, jet lag, you know, schedules are all crazy and everything. Sandy and I are sharing a bedroom and I don't remember what time you came to bed, but I was fat, I was fast asleep. And we had these really, really heavy drapes across the window. And um, I just remember the light going on and I got out of bed and I started to get dressed and you were like, what, what are you doing? You remember it, right? And I'm like, I'm going to school. And yeah. um, you were like- Now I remember making horrible fun of you. Yes, I remember. Yeah, you, you were so mean to me. <laughs> so, you know, this is why it's the, the writing of Cat is so justified. Um, Sandy, Sandy was it my- It is not. <laughs> so justified. <laughs> Someday I'm going to tell this story about about how we, we both got new clothes tell anymore. No, you are not. Let's just focus on the case. Please. Anyway, anyway, focus so that case. was, um, and I was getting dressed and you were, you were making fun of me and I couldn't figure out why you were making fun of me because it was in my mind, I was going to school. I really wasn't awake. Um, and so, you know, I'm getting dressed and I'm shoving th stuff in the backpack and you turned out the light and I was so pissed at you 
because I couldn't see, right, to get ready for school. And like, it took a while for me to kind of, what, wait? You know, like I just, it didn't click. So that was the very first impression that I had. And I felt um, Asia was sleepwalking, that, that she was determined to go to school. And um, we, Sandy and I both know um, a family that we um, kind of grew up with. Um, their two sons were sleepwalkers. And they tell hilarious stories of traveling and being in the hotel and the boys just getting up and walking all over the hotel, being locked out of their room in their underwear and yeah, in their underwear. And, <laughs> um, you know, um, uh, just heavy, deeply asleep sleepwalkers. And that's really what I felt was going on with Asia. I don't know if she has any history of sleepwalking at all, but that's what I felt. Um, and that's why the rain didn't bother her and the cold didn't bother because she was really deep into sleep. Now, when um, the gentleman pulled up, I forget his name, Sans, what, what was the, the man who tried to help her? Um, when he pulled up and- um, Jeff uh, Ruby. Jeff Ruby. When he was trying to help her, um, that's when she came awake. And I don't think she was afraid of him. I think that she was completely disoriented and- didn't know where she was, didn't know why she was in front of a man in a car. It's dark. Her parents aren't around. What the freak? So she panics and she goes off into the woods. And I feel like the other guy, and this I read also on uh, one of the blogs that I read. Um, <clears throat> there's a theory out there that the gentleman who was the former uh, sheriff who put out, you know, hey, truckers, you know, careful, there's a woman walking along the, the road that alerted two men, two white men um, who went looking for her. And um, one of the clues that the grandmother gave me, because I said, tell me, you know, give me proof, something that I can look at on a map that tells me um, you are who you say you are and that you're connected to Asia and you know what happened. And she said, um, Asia was taken um, uh, near her family's home um, uh, at the intersection of um, Old Mill Pond Road. And when I wrote pond, it felt off. Um, and then, so I, I pulled up Google and there's an intersection of 181 and 18. Okay, these are the two highways. Right next to that is um, Oak Mills Fun Park. So that's Old Mill, Oak Mills, right? And it intersects Post Road. So you may think that's a leap. To me, it was like Eureka, okay. Boom, that's this woman, because because of how like I hear but don't hear, you know. <clears throat> um, so I was like, okay, so this is actually actually what happened. And according to the grandmother, she was taken. Um, unspeakable things were done to her. She was kept alive for at least a few days. Um, I don't think she was given water. I don't think she was given food, and I think she finally just succumbed. Um, <sighs> <laughs> it's, did you it's get tough. any impressions yeah did you get any impressions about why her backpack was found um in the shed of the property <clears throat> not the one that got buried but the there were some of her belongings belongings found in, in there i think yeah. that's where they first took her i think oh, okay. that's where they first took her um okay. and um i think that they were looking through a backpack and just throwing out um anything that didn't um, concern them, you know, um, just rifling through it, trying to find out who she was. Um, 
but they had never intended to return her to her family. Um, and, um, her grandmother assures me that she is on the other side. She's okay. Um, but this was, this was a tough case. This was really tough. Well, when you and I were talking about it, uh, you said that the green. Oh yeah. I felt like, you know, the, um, the, the green Cadillac or whatever it was. I didn't feel it was yeah. green. I felt it was black and I felt it was a, a pickup truck. I don't know. Oh, really? The yeah. Lincoln Continental was what the FBI is was. The, do they it just, it felt like it had an open back. So you know how some of those like old, yeah. older car had like an open back, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's like a, it's a like trunk, a car. An open trunk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's what it kind of felt like. Um, mm -hmm. And I felt it was black. I didn't feel it was green. I felt it was black. And I felt like um, the grandmother um, uh, basically said that um, Asia was spotted by the passenger. That's how I knew that there were two men. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, it took the both of them to um, corral, corral her. her. Yeah. yeah. And and grab her. Um, and the back the backpack that was then unearthed by the highway crew, twenty six miles north of where she yeah. was. That was just that. Like, is her body near or where they did dispose of her body near that area? That I don't know. The only clue that I have to where her remains were buried was the grandmother gave me a distinct impression that the um, her remains were buried near a river next mm -hmm. to like on a riverbank, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, that there was a view of a barn, like a they said a um, she said like a barn house. So there was a view of, of a barn, and I asked. I said, "Is it possible that Aisha's remains will be discovered?" And she said, "It's not likely now." So I feel like um, because wherever they buried her was next to water, I feel like that water, um, the river had risen and flooded the area at, the, yeah. at times. Yeah. And that um, I don't know that Aisha's remains are still anywhere near where they had buried her. Now, there is a, there is a man named Marcus Mellon who <clears throat> confessed basically, not confessed to the crime, but he said he's, he's a convicted uh Pedophile. Yeah, yeah, pedophile. Mm -hmm. Pedophile. He was convicted of sex crimes against children in 2014, and he claimed in 2020, um, he sent word to a news station, contact the FBI, know what happened to Asia, and he said that um, uh, she was dead, and he knew where she was buried. That was prime COVID, um, and so they uh, COVID was breaking out in the prison. They couldn't interview him until that situation kind of rectified itself. And when they interviewed him um, at length, he failed to lead them to her remains. And before I even read that, actually before Sandy and I were like digging in, right? We were talking about it and I said, um, I feel like he, I feel like he had firsthand knowledge. I don't know that he was the, the person in the car, but there's something he's linked. And um, I said, you know, he, he knows kind of the general area there's no way he's going to lead him to the spot because it was 20 years ago. It's um, there was, there was no structures around right at the time. It's this river, the you know, the banks have changed. Everything looks different. Yeah. There's no way he was going to lead her, uh, lead them to where she was. And sure enough, when we dug deeper, he hadn't. Um, but I do feel like there were, you know, these, these guys, they kind of, you know, hunt in packs, right. Um, and so I feel like he had actual knowledge. I really do. I feel like he has actual knowledge of what happened to her. Um, so, 
uh, I hope he rots in jail. I hope he rots for the rest of his life, honestly. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if these guys will ever be caught. I don't know if they have been caught. Um, I, there was no really impression of them. It was just um, uh, what had happened to her. That's, that's really, that's why it was so hard. Because um, sometimes you can hop into, you know, sort of the killer's mindset where you get like an overview, but like this just felt like I got sucked in um, to um, what they did to her. So well, it's also a nine-year-old's experience, right? Not their experience. It's a nine-year-old's experience, which is yeah. even more tragic. Yeah. Um, I think for me, what's still so astonishing is, and I guess because I've never actually sleep walked in my sleep, I, I'm stunned that she made it 1.3 miles from her house in the rain with the wind blowing underdressed for the weather, weather. Yeah. Um, and not aware of where she was or that she, um, it wasn't until Jeff Rupi came upon her that she right. kind of she woke, woke up. up. Yeah. Um, and I can totally appreciate her panicking and running away. Right. Um, and I can appreciate that it probably was difficult for him to pull over and not startle her further. So, right. Right. you know, he went on his way. Yeah. Um, and it also makes tremendous sense to me that the other, the, um, Dan Crawford, the county sheriff's deputy, former county sheriff's deputy, makes sense to me that he would put out a broadcast. It's what sure. he would have done, you know, as an officer of the law. For sure. Um, and I, I'm not surprised at all that his radio was being monitored and, you know, right. became very opportunistic for. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel these guys were truck, dry, truck drivers. I don't feel they were truckers. I feel that yeah. they were just fucking a bad man you know, just bad men. And um, they didn't see her as a human being. And yeah. it was um, opportunistic. And they yeah. were, you know, fucking horrible. So that's, that, those are my impressions. I don't, you know, again, guys, I'm not saying I'm right. Um, and again, I don't want to cause these parents a second of doubt if they hope their daughter is alive. The grandmother did, however, tell me that Aisha spends a lot of time at her parents' house. And um, you and I were talking um, about that might be why her mother feels that she's alive because her spirit is so close. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly don't want to interject my, you know, truth um, and be like, yeah, no, this is exactly what happened. But um, it was, it was um, pretty detailed and it was, um, that old mill pond road thing, you know, like it was like, okay, all right. You know, you know, I didn't even looked at the, the area and for her to go this and this, mm -hmm. this intersection. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was so close to what the literal translation of what she had said. Um, I was like, okay, that's proof to me. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, like, you know what you know, but you don't know how you know it sometimes, you know? Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. Poor Aisha. Um, so, uh, you know, say a prayer for her. If, if you believe she's alive, say a prayer for her. If you believe that, you know, I'm correct and that she crossed um, right around that time, say a prayer for her too. So from what I understand from her grandmother, um, it could be her great-grandmother, but it was a very grandmotherly kind of figure. Um, uh, she's fine. She's whole. She's okay. Um, I think that there was a period of time when she did cross over where she wasn't um, and she was looked after. And, you know, something that, that kind of occurred to me 
as we've talked about, these ancestral trees are sacred, right? It's the lineage and, the, and your ancestors, and there's so much pride over your specific um, tree, over your specific lineage. And I was thinking about, you know, this forest of trees of African-American um, descendants and how much pain is in those trunks, you know, mm -hmm. in those branches. And um, it sort of occurred to me like, you know, this family, their lineage, right? That they've had experiences of uh, assisting um, loved ones over that have been traumatized and, um, you know, murdered um, and violated and all of that. Um, and it doesn't make it easier. It just. It's familiar. Yeah. You know. Um, so she was in very good hands, I believe, when she crossed over. She was in very, very good hands. So um, truly a crime of opportunity, unfortunately, yeah. you know, wrong place, yeah. wrong time. I think that uh, they were out looking for something, though. You know, I don't know that they were looking for a nine-year-old girl, for sure. But um, I think that they were out looking for trouble. And when they heard there's a woman alone, that's where they went. Yeah. And then, you know, well, they caught her, you know. Okay. <laughs> so uh thank you for your impressions i'm sorry it was so uh difficult i don't mean to be blase about it uh at all yeah. no i, just, I, uh, I so appreciate it. you know thank you for answering the phone today when i was a mess um you know we talked a lot about should we or shouldn't we do this i mean the last thing we want to do is bring you guys down but um we also i i you know, Sandy kept giving me the out. She's so wonderful that way. But I just felt this grandmother came forward and told me the story. And that, um, you know, on the chance that I'm right, I felt that I was obligated to um, tell you guys about it. Um, she made the effort. Um, I could communicate that. Mm -hmm. So. Yep. That's all. <laughs> it's okay. been a tough day. <laughs> it has. All right. So um, why don't we wrap up? Uh, okay. And just. Uh, um, oh, we're talking about the, the story, the Valentine's Day story. So, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> On this crying note. Yeah, we're going to leave you with some lovely. Okay. So um, um, Sandy and I actually have a brother and neither one of us have spoken to him in um, a very long time. Um, he gets his personality from his mother you know, you can draw your own conclusion from that. Anyway, um, during the time that we, we, were, we were speaking, um, uh, he married a beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, Sammy and I still have a, love, a lot of love for her. She's a wonderful human being. And for Valentine's Day, he wanted to get her this china hutch, this very large china hutch. So his wife is traveling out of town and... Um, uh, my brother has to go to work. So he asks my father, will you come and greet the, um, the guys who are delivering it and show them where to put it? And um, uh, my father at the time was, being, was driving just a piece of shit car. And as an incentive, my brother said, hey, you can, you can drive the Jeep. I'm going to take my wife's car. He goes off to work, right? My father shows up. <laughs> so just to give you the layout, okay? The driveway is kind of down a hill, right? And around the corner. So the garage is right underneath the, basically the living room um, is where it is. And as you walk in, 
So it's a, a little bit of a walkout. As you walk in, there's this whole huge finished basement. And um, so Jerry's task was only <laughs> to raise the garage door and allow these guys to come in, okay? Um, so uh, he goes off and runs an errand with a Jeep and he comes back and he puts up the garage door and he he's just automatically kind of starts backing the Jeep into the garage. Um, and then he re remembers, oh wait, they've got to get in. They've got to get the, the China hutch in. So he pulls the car out and he's going to close the door because um, it was, I think like it was, it was unbelievably cold that day. It was like nine degrees and the wind chill was like minus 18 or something. So um, it's the tundra, right? So he's closing the door because, <laughs> because the wind is just coming in to that very large downstairs area, which um, my brother and his wife used a lot. Um, so he's closing the door. And for some reason, the sensor didn't pick up that the hitch was still inside the garage. So the door comes down, <laughs> comes down between the end of the hitch and the, and the, the Jeep, right? And then it gets wedged there. <laughs> so he keeps hitting the button, trying to make the door go up. <laughs> the door won't go up. My father, I think at this age was like, I don't know, late seventies, probably late seventies, right? He could have been in his thirties and the same damn <laughs> yes, thing would have exactly. happened. Oh my God. It's so true. It really is. It's sad, but it's true. Um, so anyway, so my father, the super genius, <laughs> and he was actually a really smart man in like numbers and figures and stuff, but like common sense, no. Right. So he's, he's hitting the button and, and it's really wedged in there. So he's looking at it and he decides, well, if I just pull the car forward, <laughs> a little bit, I'll be able to un, you know, undo this, this, this situation. I'll be able to wiggle the, the um, door out, right? Well, he's got the reflexes, right? Of a 79 year old man. So he puts the, par, the car in, in drive, lets his foot, puts his foot on the gas. And the, the Jeep comes forward and the whole garage door He's now off. towing the garage door, right? Exactly. Uninten unintentionally towing the a, garage this door. This is a huge two-car garage door, okay? And he just pulls it out into the driveway. So he gets out and he looks at the wreckage, okay? And he just goes home. <laughs> he doesn't call my brother. He doesn't tell anybody. The furniture guys arrive. There's no one to take possession of the China Hutch. They can't get in anyway because the garage door is literally across the entire driveway. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> so my... special delivery. Seriously. Special delivery. Oh my God. So the, um, uh, so my brother arrives home and it's basically, what the fuck, right? Like he's like, He's, he doesn't know what's going on. What's happened? There's no China hutch. The garage door is in the middle of the driveway. The Jeep is like damaged. Okay. The back of the Jeep is damaged. There's no sign of my father or his car. So my father calls, my, my brother calls my father and he's like, what, what happened? And my dad goes, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> As if someone else did this. Right. right? Let's have another martini and Ex talk about it. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah, he's probably deep in by then. Um, yeah, so, like, he never apologized, never 
took it didn't know, happen right it just you know yeah just oh well <laughs> oh well and the bummer want- was like the bummer was um i think it took like two weeks to get someone out to um put the garage door up so this is february you know in michigan right wind blowing and everything so you know they're heaving their house you know the best that they can it's freezing because the wind is still coming in from downstairs um and i i don't even know what happened to the china hutch i don't know i don't know i'm I'm sure it got delivered at some point but i don't know that his wife was any too pleased by that valentine's day gift of you know happy valentine's day exactly exactly so that's our that's our personal valentine's day story um, and you guys thought it was going to be a juicy romantic one. Nope. Nope. Comedy of errors. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> not, not in our family, not in our family. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, uh, the bird is squeaking. I'm sorry. Um, if you're listening to that, um, she's, you know, on our perch up there, she's having a good time for those of you that can see. Um, and, uh, anyway, Sandy, thank you again for everything. Thank you. And thank you. Also, you know, for helping me, um, kind of collect myself uh for the podcast i so appreciate you and i love you so much um you're next, okay yeah next week we've got um a really good one um we're not going to get anything we're going to dive in um so please tune in next week same time same station if you want to know about more about me and only me because sandy doesn't want you to know anything about her um please visit victorialori.com understand why right i've yeah, been written about right? in books and i have an insane brother so here we Woo-hoo. go yeah. Um, and, uh, and I'm sorry about the bird guys. Um, and, um, so go Victoria to victorialaurie.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you want to make an appointment or if you want to know more about the books or more about me, blah, 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 blah. Okay. All right. I have to go feed the menagerie because they're being ridiculous. So you guys have a fantastic week. Happy Valentine's day. Sandy, I love you to pieces and I'll see you later. Okay. Bye. Yay.